There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Suck it! Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out Live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Popping real ones. Logan Murdoch here. Raja Bell there. Raja, how you doing, buddy? I am. I am good, Logan. You good? You good? Yeah. Did you? I thought like you wanted more. To, I'm good. All right. Cool. I just, you know, I, I, I just wanted to see how you were doing, buddy. I ain't seen you. Since can I? Can I be honest with you? I'm be honest with you. I'm be honest with you. Let me just. What's going on? Um, I think I've addressed this before. Was never a very big Duke fan until oh I met Coach K. I met Coach K um, when he was working with the USA team, I was playing for the Suns. But growing up, you know, I was a big uh, uh, Georgetown fan, and I just had this perception of what, like, Duke players, or it it, it, it was a misconception, uh, but it, I, I had this idea of what they were, and it didn't really appeal to me. Then I got to meet Coach K, and I thought he was super dope. And so I was a little crushed this weekend, super excited for Huber Davis and UNC. But, yeah. like, I kind of wanted the the final... I wanted it to just kind of ride off into the sunset. I wanted Coach K to get his get his last moment. I thought it was fairy tale. Uh, it was a great game, but I kind of wanted Coach K to win. That's my confession. You you wanted Coach K to win, and Coach K in this right now is like in the phase or is in the phase of his career of like that we've seen now with, I guess over the last decade with Kobe. And Tom Brady, obviously, he's a class above them because he's just done it for a longer time. But in the context of this argument that I am about to make, he is in that class of people where they were so polarizing at a time, 
but the longevity just overcame all that polarization. And now just everybody fucks with them. Like, there's obviously some people that are like, nah, nah, never, never. Like, even me with Tom Brady was because you know, I grew up in the Bay and the tuck rule. It was a freaking fumble. Shout out Charles Woodson. We out here, Raider Nation, all day. But ever since then, you know, you kind of saw that with Brady. But as time wore on, you're like, man, I, I would put I would put Serena Williams in there as well. Um, just where you're just like, man, just the longevity speaks for itself. And I started to see that with Coach K, where, you know, we are we always know the juxtaposition between those Duke Blue Devils and the uh the Fab Five Michigan, right? Those are two mm-hmm. different ends of the spectrum when we talk about not only college sports, but America in general, where, you know, if you're either a Michigan guy or you are going to Duke, and even within the confines of North Carolina, you are a Carolina guy or you are a Duke guy. There is no in-between. But over the last, I think Team USA had a lot to do with it, but over the last, I think, decade or so, Coach K has become one of those guys where he's just Teflon. I remember I saw him, I had the opportunity to see him um, in Lansing, Michigan, a couple years back. And I was going to, uh, I went to Draymond Green's uh, Jersey retirement. And they were happy. The Michigan State happened to play Duke, and I remember I was about to go on the court to see like the the uh, the jersey retirement, and Coach K walked by me, and it was like, it was like, I don't know, it was like some angelic figure walking next to you, bro. It was fucking Coach K, and like, I had to write on deadline that night, but I made sure that I watched Coach K's uh, post game presser because there's only a couple of dudes like that at sports left right now where. They're just the idea of them just like matches up with just when you see them in person. And Coach K is just one of them dudes, man. I got to salute Coach K. I, a few years ago, I might not have done that. Right now, it's just like, damn, it's end of an era. End of an era, man. I have a good friend of mine who uh, we used to go to five star basketball camp. Uh, I used to be in awe of this. Oh, legendary this camp. Played in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to be in awe of, of the guy who is now my friend. He wound up going to Duke. Um, and playing for Coach K for a bit. But as I'm reading Coach K's book right now, um, or or the book written on Coach K, um, you know, I had kind of forgot that he would come from the Bobby Knight school. And and uh, my buddy used to tell me when he transferred out <laughs> of Duke to BU on, on just a random night sitting around drinking beer, how hard it was playing for Buddy. Like if you were, you know, not blessed enough to be on his good side. So if you found yourself in whatever, you know, crosshairs he had, how miserable it could be. And for him, it had been that because he wasn't, you know, I guess he didn't live up to the hype or what Coach K thought he could be. And so not only was I like a Michigan, Georgetown, North Carolina fan, but I had this fuel too for my buddy. Like, yo, that man's a, fuck Coach K. But again, when I got to meet him, you know, and I got to talk to him and and got to be around him. And then what happened um, in Phoenix. Okay. He was there working with USA Basketball and and Jerry Colangelo was, was, uh, you know, in charge of it, and they were tasked with picking a team, and and he was just looking around at, at different people. I think Mike might have been on his staff, um, and they actually considered bringing me to a to a USA training camp as as they were trying to make the teams more well rounded and have these role guys that would do some of the things. I had already played for the Virgin Islands, so I didn't qualify. But but uh, the point was, I got to know him there, and then I got to know the likes of like the Grant Hills um, and the Shane Battiers and the other guys who had had played at Duke. Um, you know. And and you start to realize Gerald Henderson, you know, that they, they weren't exactly what I thought they were, as Coach K wasn't. And so again, man, I was just a, 
a little shout out to Coach K and the, and the Duke Blue Devils. I, I I was a little heartbroken. Every time I hear about Coach K, I heard like you know, he kind of he kind of a fun. He kind of yeah. You look at that, he's kind of a lit dude. <laughs> like what, nah, you know, he, I, I don't he know talk some like shit. I don't know. <laughs> I I just heard that like he just you know he obviously he's the Coach K that we all see and stuff. But like the people that know Coach K, similar like with Popovich or somebody, the people that know him yep. know that like he's with the shits. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 am, I imagine the way he's been able to just kind of evolve, you know, a, a, from a dude. It was fascinating reading this stuff, though, like, you know, his upbringing and, you know, the, the conditions that were at West Point. I don't know if I told you this, but I went to West Point on one of my visits. And I know this isn't like oh, yeah. where we were going with the pod, but one of my first visits was to West Point. And I got, you know, they put you up in a hotel at night. It's beautiful, right? And then in the morning, you roll Where's down. Where's West Point? I'm ignorant you know, to where West Point is. Where's West Point? It's up in upstate New York. I don't know exactly I got what, it. what okay. town it is. But the Hudson is prominent. Like, and you're coming down, and there's this fog, and it's gorgeous. I'm a kid from Florida, and it's, like, cold out. And you see the steam rising off the Hudson, and you're clearing all this mm. fog. And you're like, man, this shit is dope, man. I'm going on my first visit. And we get yeah. to West Point, and you come through the gates, and you're like, oh, 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 wait. All of these boys are in like they're like in in their dresses, their dress blues, and they're standing yeah. out there like and the reveille's going off and they're at attention. And I'm their like, shoes are so are shined, okay? No, I'm like, this is not for Take me. Take your flip flops off, Raja. Nah, dog. <laughs> but so I wasn't built for that. But seeing, I guess, back to my point was a, a guy who could kind of go through that um, and be shaped by that, and then shaped by Bobby Knight, and then. You know, knowing what all of that is about and for him to have kind of morphed as a coach through all of these decades to be able to coach the type of kid that is gracing the the, the AAU courts now, completely different animal than when he started. He's got to have a, a, a great spirit about him, like a Popovich, right? Like you you got to be able to to get down and behind closed doors, at least have a good time and be relatable to your to your players. Otherwise, you don't continue to to be able to do that at such a high level. Man, we usually don't do real in a week on Mondays, but you know, shout out to Coach K. You know, I guess shout like, out to Coach K, bro. You know, a mob in Mondays or something. I don't know. It's something. Shout out to him. Oh. While, uh, while we on like college coaches, shout out to Don Staley too. We see you. We see you being UConn in these streets. We, we see you. <laughs> Go ahead, Queen. We see for you. Sure. Sure. Um, Aaliyah Boston for uh, Vir one of Virgin Islands finest. Mm. Lock in. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Let's uh -huh. talk about you know we've talked about greatness. Let's 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 just go to the let's just get some balance into this podcast. Let's not talk. Let's talk about the exact opposite of greatness. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Where a place where Raja, it's 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 not great. It's it's not great. It's sunny. Not great. There's palm trees. There's beaches. You know. There's Malibu, but there's no greatness going on right here in this city. Talking about the Lakers right now and talking about a coach that just has not. I don't want to blame this coach. I don't want to blame him too much because I don't think a lot of this is his fault. It's not beyond his control, but I think he's going to be out of a job in, say, like three weeks. Talk about one Frank Vogel. We're talking about this in the wake of the Lakers. I guess they're mathematically correct, mathematically in the play-in. They could still make it. I know I'm want I want to go see them on Thursday in San Francisco. I don't even think I'm going to I don't even I'm going to go to the game, but I don't think that the Lakers are going to even field a team by then. I think it's just going to they're going to just sit down all their starters. They're going to sit down LeBron by then. But it's not looking good. They're I think two games out of there. Um but anyway, Frank Vogel is going to be out of a job. Um me and you it comes to a, a 
what me and you were talking about pre-pod, and I love the pre-pod um, pod talks with Ra because we just get up segments. And one of the things that we were talking about is just how, what it's like to be a coach and what it is, what's might be next for Frank Vogel. What do you think is next for Frank Vogel? Because I, honestly, I don't think he's not going to be back next year. I, I think that we can all agree. I, I, it's, I don't yeah. even say it would be a shocker that he'd be back. I don't think he's going to be back. What do you think? What's next for Coach Vogel? Um, one of, one of two things. I mean, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not another head job right now. So it would be either you take a year, um, and I, I don't know that he's got the personality for analyst work and stuff like that. I don't really know him. He might, I'm not saying that he doesn't, but you know, some guys need a refresher. They need to step away, do something like that to kind of clear the head, get the funk off, um, <clears throat> and just get back to neutral. But I imagine he winds up on someone's bench in a defensive coordinator capacity, if you will, which is really interesting because like the Lakers the shit show that they are, are um, awful offensively this year, right? And they think they're 22nd in the league in terms of offensive efficiency, only to be trumped by their 23rd in the league representation of defensive efficiency. Hey, Raja. Like, Raja they're, they're just what, bad. What did you huh? say about a championship team? What are the two things that they need, Raja? Yeah, you got to be close. You have to be top 10 in, in both of those. That's what champions What's are What's that? We got to like, know. Are, we got to, we got to, what is it? What do you got to be top 10 in, Ra? Right. You got to be top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency, brother. Like you have mm. to, you, you have to be, that's what it is. Look it up. Like that's, you have to be, and, and I'm not talking about 12th or 13th in the league, let alone 22nd and 23rd. You're in the bottom third of the league in both. Um, and that's a direct reflection of, of Frank Vogel. I'm not blaming him, but I mean, like, how can you not be culpable for that when you're the guy in charge? I imagine he winds up as a defensive minded, a defensive, a uh, uh, coordinator type of coach. And there are teams out there that look like they could use that. I mean, one one that comes to mind is one that's dear, near and dear to our heart. Like Brooklyn, um, as good as they are offensively, they are really, really, really bad defensively. And while last week on the pod, I said that, that uh, I believed them to be a very, very scary you know, opponent for a lot of teams, you know, I, I'm kind of recalibrating my thoughts on that because in a one-game scenario, yes. But over the course of seven, if you can't sustain a consistent defensive effort, you're going to get beat. Like, that's why they have seven games. So you can't get that flash-in-the-pan night that I saw in Miami where, you know, Kyrie was locked in, Andre Dummer was locked in, um, KD was locked in, everyone else was locked in, and they look like a team that, that you're like, oh, shit, there's some real sound defensive principles and energy there. It's not true. I mean, mm -hmm. it's why they are where they are in, in terms of the league stats, and it's why they are where they are in terms of overall standings. So it's, I, don't, I don't know that this is necessarily like a shot at anyone in Brooklyn because I, I don't mean to frame it like that, but I, I think they need someone on that staff that is a defensive guy, like a, a presence there. It, I don't believe there's anything wrong with their schemes. Uh, I don't think their philosophy has problems. Um, I think their culture is fine, but I do think you have to have someone there who identifies as as a defensive guy and that players look at. Like Steve, my guy, right? I love Steve. You know that. Steve knows that. I don't know Friend that any show. younger generational. Yeah, I don't know that anyone from a younger generation, my boys included, when you said Steve Nash to them, would say, oh, defense. They're, not, they're I mean, just not going to say that because no that's offense, not what he's Roger, celebrating But I don't for. think we would say defense for anybody Related to that Suns run. I don't think, I mean, you, that's you and Tricks is like the only two that we would say. Just no disrespect, but that just. No, but my, yeah, but my point, my point is like, even if Steve is preaching, breathing fire defense and doing all of that, he's got to have someone behind him where people are like, 
yeah, that motherfucker doesn't play about his defense. Like, and I identify yeah. him with defense. So when yeah. Steve's talking all of this shit, like, and I, my first inclination is to be like, oh shit, like you ain't about no defense. Well, I just look right over your shoulder and there's a motherfucker standing there that I know is about defense. I think you brought up a good point um, with the number two defensive person, right? Where if you look at all the great teams in the league that are great defensively, they have a number two person. They, they always have to because it's just dividing all of the responsibilities, right? Because when we, when we think of a head coach, this is the captain of the ship. You can't just right. be – it's just like a head coach in football, right? It's like a head coach in general. You have to do – you have to be – you got to – say Frank Vogel for a second. You have to make sure LeBron's good, right? Then you got to make sure Russell Westbrook is not, you know, is is fine with being benched. I'm just saying hypothetically. You got to think about those things. You got to think about if AD is going to come back on time. You don't have as much time to think about the micromanaging of a team and all these things and making sure that things work. And it's interesting you say that we use Brooklyn as an example. Because same with Nash, he has, it doesn't make him a bad defensive coach. He has to think about, yo, is Kyrie going to play tonight? How do I make oh. sure the game plan is going to work? But it's interesting like that you say about a defensive coordinator because I think about a Tom Thibodeau, right, who is, has re- had really good success as a head coach. I'm not going to get me wrong. But I think that we also see that he's better suited as an elite assistant because of what we saw during his time in Boston, where he's yelling out the coverages. You get here. You get here. You ice the screen. You know, you play back. You know, that's the kind of thing that these teams need. And I think we get lost in that when we talk about when we talk about when people hire a staff. I think about the Kings, for instance, where. Your lead assistant when you're Luke Walton is Alvin Gentry. And immediately, as soon as you hire an Alvin Gentry, someone, you got Luke Walton, who you didn't hire. That was a team that hired him to your staff. And you're looking over your shoulder. You know? Yeah. You got you to gotta pick that thing right. You got to pick it right. Let me go back to Steve real quick. And you talked about, like, Steve's got one of the hardest jobs in the NBA. Like, Steve. I think the hardest Ty, job in the NBA. Ty, yeah. Ty, Ty, Lue, Ty Lue tried to tell you all this years ago. Um about and every he got like clowned because he said how hard you know he was talking about how hard his job was when you were dealing with like LeBron and the Kyrie and people were like ah but I wish we had those problems and and in some respects yes I, I get it like it's an embarrassment of riches like you'd love to have problems like that but the ego that is the NBA player and the drama that surrounds the NBA player when you're sitting in that head seat I mean that that is a lot of distraction. It's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of consoling and counseling. You're essentially the head coach and wearing part of the GM's hat at the same time. And so Steve this year in it in its uniqueness with the with the Kyrie situation with the covid shot and all of that, like job is really really hard as is. Just trying you know, to figure out how to keep No, like you're bringing you're bringing in uh, all-time great and ball usage guys like James Harden. Um, and trying to figure out how to integrate them with Kevin Durant, who might be the best player on the planet, and Kyrie, who's as brilliant as anybody, o- automatically and organically, all focus shifts to how do we make this work offensively. Mm-hmm. It's just a byproduct of bringing all of that in. And so, you know, yeah. when you're trying to handle all of that, you run out of hours in a day. 
And so that is what you're saying. You need someone whose primary focus in there is going to be, hey, man, while coach deals with all of that bullshit, here's my job. This is my box. This is the box I'm going to live in every day. And so the, the, to get to your point, Logan, is, is the, the tough part for a general manager or a, an owner in, in this space of hiring a guy like, let's say, a Tom Thibodeau or a Frank Vogel is figuring out whether that's a good pairing in terms of their their see see Tom Thibodeau is a great defensive coach. He's also too good to just be a defensive coordinator on a team, right? So it puts him in this weird space of like he's really a good head coach. I think there's a ceiling on that. I think it's proven itself out because there's some limitations there, but but he's good enough to be one and get your team to certain places. He can make an and average so, team good. It's I don't think he can make a good team great. Right, but as a defensive coordinator candidate, if you're bringing him in with a relatively young coach or a coach that might be on unstable ground, like you have to worry about as an organization, what does that do to the head coach? Does he now lose focus on his job? Is there too much pressure in the seat right next to him for him to really be able to focus and be the best version of himself. There's a lot that goes into those conversations. Now, do you think do you think that Frank Vogel, because he's not going to be back next year, I can't emphasize that enough. Do you think that Frank Vogel is a guy, and I've only had limited interactions, but I'm not going to say like I know the dude or anything, but do you think he's a guy that can be next season if there is, if he doesn't go to a beach somewhere, because he should just be, he should pick his beach and just stay there for like six months. Just chill and just yeah. don't do anything and relax. Do you think once he gets done with that, do you think he can be a number two coach just to get yeah. his bearings back? Do you think he's a guy that can do that? I think he can. I think I think Frank Vogel's built for that. I mean, I'm sure he's an alpha. All coaches are in their in their own way, but I don't think he's one that you'd have to worry about. Um, necessarily trying to trying to outshine your head coach, right? Like I, I think he would want to be ahead again for sure. But I think he would come in and kind of fit into what an organization was asking him to do. Um, as the number two or the whatever you named him, I, th- I think that he would be able to do that. I think that like he, if he does go, he'll it'll be like a Kenny Atkinson year because Kenny Atkinson's in the Bay. Right now, just making mm-hmm. sure, you know, just buying his time. He's probably going to come back into the league. We all know he's going to be a head coach again and then go from there. I think that's what it's going to be for Frank. Listen, I'm going to keep it a buck. I, sometimes assistance life is a lot. Now, you don't get paid like the head, but. You also don't have the stress of a I head mean, coach. You, <laughs> That's correct, man. Like, dog, you know. I've done them both at a different level, clearly, right? Like, like just at the high school level. But I mean, hey, man, like they're sometimes it's cool to be the assistant. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if you ever kicked it or like hung out with Mike Brown. Um, but uh, Mike Brown been. is Mike Brown. I mean, you probably seen him during like you know when he was the head coach and stuff like that. Totally different dude, bro. If he had hair, he'd just be letting it free right now. You know, he's he's going he's chilling. He is color coding what he's going to wear every game. You know, he's say Draymond, come here. I got to just tell you something right fast. He's holding back Steve Kerr. You know, he's just like, yo, man, don't even trip. It's okay. Let's just go go back to the bitch. We're down 20. It's love. It's fine. Relax. We all good. And then 
He just rides his Harley Davidson just around San Francisco and just has this let his wind just. That's what an assi- that's what his assistant coach is. Is that how Mike? That's how Mike Brown's living right now. That's how Mike Brown rolls, so, bro. Let me let me paint a picture to juxtapose the one you just painted. I was brought in by David Griffin once he got the job. All right. Um, he called me. I was working for Fox Sports. He called me in L.A., asked me if I wanted to consult a little bit. So I got home to Miami. Boom, on a flight to Cleveland. Got off that damn plane. It was seven degrees. It was gray. There was snow everywhere. It was, <laughs> it was brutally depressing. So he said, hey, Ra, here's what I need you to do. We're going to go in, and I fear that Mike Brown um, – Now nah, he didn't phrase it like that. He said, I fear that these guys have checked out on Mike Brown. And oh, I was yeah. like, okay. like So – I've told this story then. I'm like, yeah, I'll be able to tell that relatively quickly. I walked into that practice and it was the exact opposite of what you're talking about. There was yeah. Mike Brown, right? Looking like he was 12 years older than he was at the time. I don't know how old he was, right? I could see the look in his eye of like, fuck this shit. Like these, nobody here is listening to a word I said. Just like almost defeated, but still putting on the good face of like, this is my job. Yeah. Like you're in a building full of glass, but there's no light coming in. It's just dingy and gray. Oh, and and Midwest, I, I looked baby, around. The Midwest. And it was just oh, it was so bad. And yeah. and I I see guys shuffling out from like the weight room. Everyone's a couple minutes late, not giving a shit about that. With with just like a jump, like a, a a a smoothie in their hand. And I said to Griff, I was like, Hey man, I listen. I love Mike, but it's not. This is this isn't gonna work. And so. We're talking about being the head versus being the assistant, right? Listen, he was miserable. miserable. Here's another thing. Mike Brown wants to be a head coach again. But I think that experience that you just laid out, because also, and I didn't know this was going to be a Mike Brown pile, but shout out to Mike Brown. This is, I, the thing with Mike right now, he wants to be a head coach, but I think the experience that you laid out, it has to be a really good opportunity for him to go jump and do something else, bro. Because, dude, just having a time. That's how he should life. approach that. Yeah, that's he how should I approach think it just every like that. assistant should approach it, man. Like I know we're in this. I know we're in. I I know that we're in this time where it's like, hey, I don't know if I'll ever have this opportunity again. But I'd rather hold out for the right opportunity than well, just. All right, l- let me know what's well, up. What's the other side? No, of that? I I I I the other side of it. While I I agree with you. Like in a vacuum, yes, man. Like I want to make sure that this is right. Like I, but you know, this is for all coaches, but specifically coaches of color. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't, you, you, you know, you you don't, you don't have the ability or the luxury to be able to sit back and pass up opportunities because they come around so infrequently at times. That's fair, you know. And so yeah. you have to hop up, take what you get by that you know, bull by the horns approach and try to make it what it is because shit, you could sit in an assistant seat. Their dude's been sitting there for 25 years shit. hoping to get a shot at, at their own squad. Maybe, maybe one of them's turned down the opportunity you're talking about, but it ain't come back around. So like, mm. unfortunately, everyone doesn't have that luxury. You know, some people do. They shit, they can sit there and turn three, four, five, six of them down. But some of them got to just take what they can get. That's a fair point. Ayo, Raja, there is um, mm. something that Mike Brown... And Steve Kerr and the rest of the Warriors staff all have in common with one team. We're going to talk about that connection at the end of the break. 
This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. And we are back. So, Ra, uh, you know, I was watching. I was watching a little bit of. Um, I was watching a little bit of basketball this this weekend. Um, I was. I was uh, just like a tiny bit of basketball. You know, I'm trying to like trying to. There's a lot of basketball that we're going to be watching over the next two months. You know, it's like a little break. But I was able to catch a little. I'm not even going to say. I, I watched a play, two plays this 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 uh, this weekend. <laughs> I saw. Like two plays of the um, the Lakers Nuggets game because I just wanted oh I was like oh it's a close game maybe the Lakers are gonna do something I'm gonna watch let me know go to the playoffs you know like I said I want to watch the Lakers play full squad San Francisco on Thursday but anyway watched well, like two things and I was like oh Jokic is a beast Jokic said no <laughs> Jokic is I'm the MVP and just put the ball in just like went on a run and won the game and then I watched like a play. Of the the jazz uh, the jazz warriors game on Saturday, and yeah. I was watching that they were down twenty, so I'm like, I'm not gonna watch this shit. Fuck this. I'm like, call me back when Steph is here. And then I look at the I look at my phone the next morning and I see, oh shit, the Warriors won. Warriors won. They don't have they don't have Steph Curry. They have Clay Thompson who balled out. They have Draymond Green who, you know, was back coming into form. They had a friend of the show, Jordan Poole, on. Uh, he was on one, uh, Sasha's favorite player. Um, and it got me to thinking, man. You know, and I did that tease at the end of the last segment about the connection that Steve Kerr and Mike Brown have with one organization. And that's the San Antonio Spurs. And we were talking pre-pod just about the longevity of the Spurs, right? They're still mm-hmm. they're they're about to kick LeBron James and the Lakers up out of the paint for the play-in. They're just they just happen to just be around at all times, right? Just just always just happen to be there. And I wonder, do the Warriors have that in them over the next decade or so, right? Where they just are a team that's just around. Remember after, you know, I always look at the Spurs of just always centered around Tim Duncan, one star. And they had phases where, beginning of Tim's career, also front of the show, Tim Duncan, um, where, you know, he comes into the league, wins a title, right? I think it was his first or second year, wins a title. Then a couple more years, they go, they win another title. You know, they're one of the best teams, you know, quadruple, double, all of that. And then they have another resurgence, and they win just one more title in fourteen. Right, where it's like, oh, excuse me, we're here after going to the finals twice. Do the the Spurs are defined by one not one guy, but they are defined that run is defined by one Tim Duncan, just an ever present guy. And I always talk to Steve Kerr 
about this, and he always compares Steph to a Tim Duncan-like guy. This is the guy, you, the rare guy that you build around for you know, 15, 16 years. Based on what I've seen, I think there's some seeds of that with the Warriors, with Steph being the catalyst. Obviously, you have Clay Thompson, Draymond. Then you guys, you got your other guys. You got the little homies, Kaminga and Jordan Poole. Moody, I don't know how long he's going to be on the team, but I don't know. But I just do see something like this bubbling, Ra. Do you, am I the only, do you, am I crazy? Oh, I, I hadn't really looked at it like that, but I don't, I don't know that you're crazy. I mean, you know, we, let's start with Steph and KD. I mean, KD, Timmy D. Two very, very stable people. Two, two very low key for the most part. You know, Steph's got more shit to him than Timmy D did, but like, Still, I don't think you would you would have him in like the upper echelon of NBA stars out there getting into shit, having, you know, he's got his commercials and stuff, but but a really solid dude. Can you even more stability? Saying? I think Logan. the more the stability argument you got going. Maybe not the fame argument, but the stability argument's there. Stability. Yeah, but so what I'm saying, yeah, because you can't compare them in terms of fame. And I think Steph is way more marketable, right? Has his fingers in way more of that. But like as a personality, as a person, I think stable people and and that's really important. And what's going to be interesting to watch Golden State do, because they are kind of tracking and, and, and they are, you can draw some comparisons, but they have to continue to hit. Like the Spurs hit with picks, right? I mean, I love Kaminga. We need to see what James Wiseman does. Um, the Spurs would hit in terms of bringing in, you know, late round, second round picks or even free agents. Their player development system was crazy good. Golden State's is too. So there's some there's some real parallels there as well. Um, you know, and then the Spurs were able to keep that staff together for a long time, Logan. Like Bud yeah. left eventually and stuff, but the Spurs had real continuity on their bench. Um, and and it allowed them to keep consistent culture in their building for so long. And those are, you know, that remains to be seen. Golden State's had a really good run, but you know, people are looking to to kind of, you know, you had your you Jaren's leave and, you know, pieces that may not be big, sexy names, but it's it will be interesting to see how their departure and if it continues to happen, you know, how that affects the overall, you know, product and the overall organization. Yeah. I mean, you brought up a good, I mean, Wiseman, I, we've always we've talked about this show. He's the key to all of this, you know? I mean, I, I, I honestly believe that. Um, but, to your point about hitting on the guys, they, ha I think one lesson that they learned during the uh, the flash, I don't know if we can call it flash in the pan, but like the highest of high that they've ever been, right, was with their absolute peak, 16, 17. And then, you know, 17, 18. And I think those are their, like the absolute peak of what the Warriors were, right? I think the biggest thing that they learned was it's, this isn't sustainable without player development because – you know, they, if you look at their track record during those runs, they didn't draft. Maybe they drafted well, but they didn't develop well at all. You know, I think about right. uh, Jordan Bells of the world. I think about the Patrick McCalls of the world. Um, Kevon Looney was one of the lone ones of that, but Kevon Looney was the, was like maybe just the one out of that whole group. Right. right. And if you, and he's a rotation player. And right now, though, I think that they, 
if those if Kaminga, Pool, and Wiseman can as, like just ascend, Wiseman's out for the year. Like it's done. That's not happening. But next year, we're really going to see how good this team is and can be. Right? If they can just keep those top six guys, and this, I think, this is the test to see if there are, you know. The Warriors flashing a pan, and this is the last remnants of that, or if they are going to be sustained, sustained success, and maybe get like one or two more titles out of this. Yeah, it's good. Uh, the, his maturation and development into what you would hope the pick warranted is going to be paramount in it. Um, if you remember the Spurs, it was Tim Duncan, um, and then it was Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, but Tony Parker was kind of the lead. For a couple of years, Tim was still great, but Tony was Tony was Tony. He was doing Tony things, and then it was, you know, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili featuring mostly Tony and Manu. Can you dig what I'm saying? Like, so mm-hmm. every year as Tim gets older, we're lightening the load until it finally got to be certainly Tim Duncan, yes, uh, uh, Tony Parker, yes, Manu, but now we're featuring Kawhi. Right, yeah. and so Kawhi is the guy. And Kawhi so, was a rotation player one time, like once upon a time. Man. Yeah, I don't think. We, yeah, <laughs> he was a rotation player. And they developed, and they kept that skill development, and 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 uh, you know, but that's what you need to, for that sustain, sustained, excuse me, success. That that passing of the torch, so to speak. It's what's been so disappointing for me watching the Lakers. I can't speak for Laker fans, <laughs> but, but the Lakers for me just didn't watching have the, Lakers, the continuity, though. They just didn't. Like, no, they don't have. They don't have any of that, but the passing of that torch is what you yeah. were. That was the thing you had to get right with the AD trade, right? The rest of that, yes, they're a shit show, but you had to get that passing of the torch right, and it looks like they fucked that up. Whew, man, that's I. I can't wait to just see what this era is. I not that I can't wait to get to ten years from now, but I can't wait to see how we think about this era of basketball when it comes to um, just when we can just have like a. You don't really get to see this. Until all the players are retired or like, you know, in that those Dirk, Tim Duncan late career stages where, you know, their legacy is pretty much complete. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. Can't wait to see how we think about, um, you know, this Warriors team, LeBron, KD, Giannis is in that and where he fits in because his run is early. You know, they could still, you know, Bucks, we talk all this stuff about the Western Conference and... You know, just because, you know, my proximity to the West Coast. But, yo, man, Bucks could go back to back this year. It wouldn't even be a thing. Let me tell you like this, Logan. Wouldn't be a thing. Um, I I said before, I think they're being slept on. But I got to give you your flowers because I defended one, Chris Middleton. And you came on here and you actually apologized to Chris Middleton. And while he's, you know, an all-star and shit like that, as of late, has not been the second piece that that Giannis is going to need to win that chip. And so I imagine it boils down to something almost as simple as this. If Chris Middleton is the all-star Chris Middleton, the real bona fide number two to Giannis, I think they got as good a shot as anybody. If he is not playing like that, which he is not lately, he has not been, then they're going to be in trouble. Thanks, Rob. You know what, man? We'll do it again. You know, we're all about giving flowers on this show to, you know, people, persons, and entities. Guess what we're going to do at the end of this segment? We're going to give some flowers, baby. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for $5 chicken wraps from Arby's come in. 
available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. And we are back. So, Ra, people don't really know this because, you know, it's just in the, this is one of the few things in the pre-pod. Or, you know, we got a lot of stuff in the pre-pod that don't make it to air, probably for good reason. Um... But one of the things last month or so, I remember a conversation between you and Sasha that I really felt left out on. And I felt like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? Like, I thought we were a family. I thought, like, you guys. Like, I thought, why do I got, why are you, what the fuck? Why am I not in on the joke, right? And I heard either you or Sasha say the immortal three words, which is, get a not a bad pay. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, what is going on? What's what's this? And then I heard inventing. I was half listening because I'm just like salty that I'm not in on the joke. And you guys were saying to that I need to watch this show called Anna. It's like a scammer show, right? Mm-hmm. But I was already on the Tinder Swindler. And then you guys like, no, you guys got to right. watch this. You guys need to watch. You need to watch Logan. You need to watch Inventing Anna. Okay, you need to watch it because you're not a bad pay because you're not watching. You know, this is what I was hearing, right? And I watched the show. I just I. It was over the weekend, and I'm just like, you know, trying to figure out some stuff to watch. And I just was like, fuck it. I fuck with um, the girl that plays Anna Delvey. I fuck with her work because she was an Ozark, right? She's just Ruth. Ruth. Why does... So, the girl that plays Ruth, I'm sorry that I'm messing up your name. Nah, I'm terrible with names. And it plays Anna Delvey. She always plays a fucking boss in every role that she does, right? But specifically... (laughs) With Anna Delvey. So I, I'm i watching the show, which centers around... You guys you guys need to watch Inventing Anna. I'm not going to go through the show synopsis. Basically, just some scammer shit that you guys just need to watch, right? But what I was curious about was why. And then I see, I see Anna Delvey, and she says to the reporter that is trying to report out this story of her scamming, and the re- the one I was hooked, and she goes to jail to Rikers to go see Anna, and she she's just like fed up with Anna's shit because Anna's just a scammer and she's a boss with how she scams, and she goes to Anna and just she's she's like I'm pregnant, I am stressed, I need you to just tell me what the story is, Anna, I'm tired of your shit, and Anna, who's a boss, goes, I'm sorry, did I hurt your sweet little baby feelings? And I was locked in from there. Rob, when yeah. did you get locked in on the show? What it made you like love this show? What is what what is the vibe? Why what what why are we on the same page here with our standship of Anna Delvey? Um, Ju- Julia Garner is her name, and she is she's a boss. She's qu- like quietly one of my favorite actors. Um, I so 
I looked it up when Sasha told me about it. Shout out to Sasha because Sasha was on this before me. I had to look up the character. I had not the character, but the actual person, Anna Delvey. Read about, read about her, a um, couple articles and so on and so forth. And so when I tuned in, I was already in because I'm, I messed with Julia Garner, but I found myself knowing, in fact, that this person was who they, they say she is and had done what they said she did, but being really conflicted <laughs> over the performance and the way that Julia Garner sold herself as not being that. Like, I was conned watching it. And so- yes. I was in. I was like, well, shit, I can't turn it off now. Like, I, I mean, every time she said, uh, I, my, my trust has the money, I will send the wire. <laughs> every time she said it, I was like, yeah, okay, shit, the wire's coming. Like, Pops we're good. is going like, to give I'm the waiting. wire. <laughs> maybe, maybe everyone is wrong. Maybe, maybe she's in jail and she shouldn't be. And so once I was conflicted, like emotionally, like that, having known the real story, I was like, oh, I got to watch this shit. How many times did you, um, so there's a great cast, right? It's a great cast. Vivian, who was the one of Manhattan Magazine, who is mm-hmm. here pursuing the story. I There were times where I loved her, times I hated her, right? Casey Duke. Also, Casey Duke, her character, I'll, no matter whose side she was on, I was on Casey's side, the, the, the personal trainer. I was on her, I was on her side because she was just like, <laughs> she was just a gangster with it, right? Like I didn't get Neff, I was always on her side. Neff and Casey, yeah. I was just always on their side. But how many times yeah. did you switch on Vivian and um and Anna? How many times did you just switch? Like, I'm because there were times with me with Anna where I was like, you're a fucking asshole. Like, why are you scamming your partners like this? Why are you doing this? What is going on? Why are you scamming them? They're supposed to be your friends. Why are you doing this? And then with Vivian, I'm like, bro, go. You have a child. Go raise your kid. Yeah. Right. I, and then, right. Yeah. I how, how conflicted were you during this time, during this episode, during this, during this I series? Don't, I wasn't really conflicted, Logan. I'm always fascinated. I've always been by people who stand in the face of certainty and and will also have hold on you- quick question also sasha mack said something really good that i need that i just need i i i remiss if i didn't say it rachel being just a snake just a snake just go watch the episode how she was a snake and just like how you dime your partner out <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> what you sorry. Talk, you no i i I'm always I'm just fascinated by people who will like stand in the face of it, even when everything has crumbled around you, all of the lies, all of the cars, that house you built. It's just they're all raining down and people are just still standing there looking at you in the face, trying to tell you that what what you're watching with your own eyes is not happening. Like, no, you're wrong. I did. I, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm a genius. Like, I've done all of this. And so. Bro. <laughs> I, now some of it some of it because Sasha wants to know about like Rachel and did she get scammed I don't know that you so there were some really gray areas there like ethically surely wrong wrong like you know what you were doing but you've got people pulling out their cards on their own volition throwing them down like I mean I mean again as, ethically as and morally but is that is that legally if you take your card out and you're like alright Logan if I take you out to dinner right yeah. and we're going to a restaurant of my choosing um, it's grand scale restaurant, restaurant, and I, I have some trouble with my funds, let's say. And before we can get to the bottom of it, without me asking you to, you pull out the card and you're like, yo, I, I'll get that shit. You just get me back. 
If I then don't get you back, did we break a law? Here's the thing, though. The thing, though, this is another thing that and this is this was triggered that scene specifically in where was it, Morocco. Also, you don't yeah. want to fuck around in Morocco, dog. This dog ain't no, they ain't, I ain't fucking around in Morocco. You better have your bread together if you go to Morocco. But anyway, I was so I was conflicted on this too. From a from the different perspective of I work in media and also I've had experience with company cards. You don't yeah. want to fuck around with company cards, bro. If and also it ain't no work trip. I'm liable to leave the company card at the crib. And if also, if she's doing that, if my partner is doing that, right, and is clearly reckless, and she's clearly richer than me, and clearly paying for everything, and she invited me on this trip, and you know the track record. Because this was like during other stuff that we know is going on that's fucked up. Like, Rachel knew what was going on. She knew, like, if you ask four or five questions to Anna, about what she's going through, she's just gonna call. She's just gonna sit, come with the same shit. So she knows she's on bullshit, right? If you're that yeah. close to her, I'm not pulling my card out for nothing, bro. I'm not here's doing. What, here's it. what. Yeah, you are. Because here's what you left out. Here's what you left out, tough guy. What's that? You left out. You left out the 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 closing ranks of what looked like some sort of security force. Oh, from, right, that's true. From Morocco, and and their presence might have prompted you to get in that pocket, like because that's what she was facing. Like, oh but shit, did you see we're Rachel? about to be in prison. Okay, all right, you're right. I I you, I did miss that part because that also the card thing happened before her little new boo was trying to set her straight. What you could have done though is what you could have done. You could have just said like. You could have did. Never mind. I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna say it. We're on a podcast, but uh, the pre pod. <laughs> I will say that. I'll leave that for the pre pod. But uh, <laughs> there's a way out of this, ladies and gentlemen. Is all I'm saying. I'm not gonna divulge how. But if you know, you know. However, but Rachel was wilding. You see how Casey was like, "I'm sick. I'm leaving, dog. I'm out of here. This is not for me. Yeah. This is this is not it." What I I, what I will say is, though, how much with a question I have with Rachel, and this is the question that's the telltale for the whole pod, the whole mini series is, was she with it for the clout or was she actually Anna's friend? What do you think, Ra? I think it was a bit of both. I think it was 50-50, maybe 60-40 clout. So, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that Rachel should have got that, but what I'm saying is, like, poor decisions were made, and you, I didn't believe your heart to really be in it for the right reasons 1,000%. So, like, I, I, you know, I think it was 50-50, man. I think, I think, you know, when you have someone flossing like Anna was flossing, right, and, and just throwing shit around and, and buying people what they want, like, that shit can be intoxicating to some people. NBA, NBA, NFL, so, all right, people... In the entertainment business, people who have a celebrity, they have plenty of them, right? Like people that are around because of what you can do for them, whether that be in terms of buying shit or getting them access to shit or people like they're there for that reason. And then there's some that like, you know, just be become friends, you know, like you meet them in certain circles, they're, they're friends and they have their kindred spirits and they're not there for that. So it's hard to tell. I think she was probably 50-50 though. I, I think I, I'm, I'm with you. I think 60-40 though, because yeah. 
we could have said 50-50, and that's okay, right? That's okay, right? It, 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 that shit happens. We see it all the time. But when it went to 60-40, and honestly, you can make the argument 70-30, is when she did that fucking Vanity Fair shoot. And I, it hasn't been really talked about, and I don't know because I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see any reporting on this, but it does seem like, yo, use, use Vanity Fair's bread to make this, like, you 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 did some slick slick shit with the with the uh with their money, and then you do a Vanity Fair cover. I feel like that was how she recouped. I don't know, but it seems like that's how she recouped by doing her little tell all story. And now she's doing books and all this stuff right now. And Anna, I see why Anna was in that jail cell screaming a lot of names towards her. I just see I see why. See, we're doing yeah, it again. We're on Anna's side. We just wind up on Anna's side. I'm not though, because my like if I'm Rachel in that situation, like and I'm in this hole and I don't I don't see a way out and I don't really believe that I dug the hole myself, um, at least completely by myself. That's my I'm out. I'm getting out of that shit. Like if I have avenues to get out, I don't give a damn whether it's Vanity Fair, Sports Illustrated, um, TV guide, like I'm getting out. Yeah, we're doing yeah. this, we're doing these interviews. They're getting done. They're getting done. All right, we'll see. I mean, my favorite one was Neff in the whole series, though, because Neff always was a rider. Even if she was like, she was one of the riders that didn't have all the information, you know, that or yeah. either was yeah. just neglectful of the information. I don't know. Great show. Neff wanted to get that film made. She wanted that film made, bro. She wanted that bread. She needed that film. Yeah. Made. Shout out to Neff. Um, I got a question for you, um, sir, because you are fucking up right now, Raja. Me and Sasha pulled your card, pre-pod meeting. You're fucking up. You're letting a lot of people down because you are on. Me and Sasha have already finished Bridgerton. There's a lot of people that are waiting on the Bridgerton boys to come back, sir. And you are fucking up because you are not. You've only watched one episode and you have not been about your shit, Raja. That's all I'm saying. They're waiting for get, the double Bs? The double they're B's waiting for the double Bs, the Bridgerton boys. The double Raja, um, you, are not, Here, you are not bad, bad pay. You're not bad, bad pay right now. I'm not bad, bad pay. Um, I will say it like this, and I've said, I've said this privately. I watched the first 10 minutes of Bridgerton boys, and I was out. Ah, just bear with me. Bear with me. Um, there was no Duke. They didn't, they didn't grab me with the quick, like, steaminess and, like, the, the sexual tension and shit like that. Now, whether the first season did or didn't, it doesn't matter because, in my mind, there was so much of it in that season that I remember it as being that way. Like, I remember turning on that first episode and being like, oh, goddamn, bro, sex. <laughs> and it wasn't. Sasha would, like, Sasha would like you to know. I don't like to cut you off, but Sasha would like you to know that the first season opened, opened with Anthony's bare ass. So that is no one boy. She would like you to know what? that. She's calling bullshit on your on you uh, that you need to that you I'm, just need to like lock no, up. No, no, no. I'm saying he's right. It, season one literally yeah. opened with Anthony like thrusting in his bare oh, season ass. One, and season two that's is fair. not is not like that. Right. Okay. So I'll that's apologize. where I was. All right. But okay. but yeah, thank you, Sasha. I appreciate it. See, Sasha needs to chime in. We need Sasha. Sasha doesn't want Sasha just doesn't want to chime in like this. Oh, I'm sorry. It's yeah. literally Whether just because I, I don't have my mic and I, I'm just gonna have to do Zoom, but it's fine. It's all right. Sometimes okay. I need straightening, sometimes Logan needs it. But so anyway, I did a little deeper dive. I watched I watched the whole first episode when I had some time because I wasn't gonna like carve out time for it. 
But I'm in. I'm in. And so here's my You're not going to carve out the time for Bridgerton and our fan base? Not, not if you don't hook me in the first. If you can't hook me in the first 15 minutes, then I can't, like, I got four kids, bro, to run around this mofo crazy, dog. Like, I don't have just time at my, at, at, like, in my pocket. So my point is, I'm now in, and I will start carving out, like, that hour that I could do something else with. I'm going to get into my Bridgerton. I'll be there with y'all. Like, give me... Give me a week. Next week, I'll have watch a- episode three. If episode three is not like, if if by yeah, I feel like episode three four is where it really starts to be like we're starting to get back because the problem is that in episode in season two, Anthony has like who provided a lot, I would say, of the like scanless like stuff in season one. He is trying to like turn over a new leaf now. He's like a different guy. He's like, I'm a different guy now. I've turned over a new leaf. I'm not doing, I'm trying to find a wife. I'm not doing that shit anymore. And that's like why I think it's a little less, you know. Also, Daphne and uh and the Duke get married in like episode three or something. So the the opportunity for them to like do shit because of it being like Regency Britain. It happens way earlier, whereas Anthony, that stuff happens a lot later in the season. So, and now he's trying to be like a gentleman. I don't want to. Bre- I don't want to break it to him. Where it's not, we talked about this in the pre-pod. If it's not like the steaminess, the lack of steaminess gets, and the lack of just beautification, beautifulness, like with the Duke and shit, that all gets like Come that, on. It, it all. It all. It all balances out with the la- the the fucking sheer meshiness of season two. Is all I'm saying. Six Roger. through eight is just a run. You know yeah. what I take. You know what I take from this. What's that? It's completely my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, it is. I lost myself in in like a mantra that I've stuck with for a while since people put me on to scandal when I didn't want to watch scandal at first. I've lived mm. by this, and I fucking forgot myself. Trust in Shonda. Shut. Can bro, you dig what I'm saying? We just and gave, I lost we, myself, bro. Has Shonda ever fucking never, like, never? We just talked about inventing Anna. You know who created that? Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> and guess who was in a? You know the guy we we're talking about. You were talking about Rachel's like new boo. That guy was on Private Practice, which was also a Shonda show. One of my absolute faves. Try to tell you, me and my mom would be watching that okay. together. Okay. Did you see that Quinn Perkins? <laughs> Quinn Perkins is in fucking inventing Anna. Also, uh, who's the white dude that was chief of staff for Bro? And um, and, Cyrus and B. Cyrus B. Cyrus is in there, bro. And also, bro, he's bro, everywhere. There's just heavy hitters in this shit. I don't know where I'm going, but you need to fucking watch. Get her to shit, Raja. We got a little She's bit of time. She's just everywhere all the time. Trust in Shonda. She's gonna lead you right. I promise her fingerprints are all over this season. Like it, Juliet said something really smart on the, like they did a, a two episode of, or they did like prestige uh, TV podcast for episodes one through four and then four through eight. And she said that the peak of the season is episode six. That's when like all of this shit happens. It's one of the most insane episodes of TV I've watched in a while. Just like how much stuff, purely happens in the episode and she julia said a really smart thing and it reminded her of like a gray's anatomy season finale where it's just like everything is happening every room of the hospital is filled somebody's having sex here yeah. they're in the closet this is there and it's like yes. i it's 
I was like, wow, Grey's yes. Anatomy. It literally was like a Grey's Anatomy final. Run. I forgot Grey's Anatomy. Just what a run. What so a run of good. That's a San Antonio Spurs-like just... run from Grey's Anatomy. It's still going. <laughs> it's fucking still going. Well done, Who's sir. the Tim Duncan? Is it Meredith? Is I don't it watch Meredith? it enough. Or I just know it, it's always in my life. Is it actually... Uh, Oh my God, Miranda! Am I it's like the Spurs Miranda? for me because Ooh, I don't watch it, is it Miranda. and I don't, and I don't really watch the Spurs, but I just know that they're there. Meredith, Kashanda is Coach Pop, yeah. But I do think that Meredith might actually be Miranda because she made it all the way through and she carried. I think she carried it on her back a little bit. She did. Miranda might have been Tim. Anyway, wow, man, Raja. Get your shit together. Okay, we got a couple My episodes bad. where we're not probably Bridgerton boys will not be a thing. You have like you have like a week and a half, I give you. Like a week and a half, two weeks will be good. Yeah. All right. Done. All right. The and playoffs start soon, Roger. So you really gotta get in before <laughs> lock start. in. Rah rah, lock in. I'm locked. I'm locked. Don't say, say less. Say less. I'm on it. Another edition of Monday Real Ones. All right. We're we're getting into the stretch run, baby. All right. We're not fucking around. We're ready to lock in. All right. Mm. We'll see you Thursday. We got a special guest for you on Thursday, okay? But in the meantime, in between time, on Cyrus Bean time, (laughs) make sure you check out our other slate of shows on the Ringer Network, baby. Make sure you check out Upside High. Also, man, real love to Jonathan Charks, baby. You know what I'm saying? Real love. Shout out to Charks. Make sure you check out Icons Club, which has been... I I can't put it into words just like how insightful this has been for me as a 20 something um kid just just the history of the league it's such it's like a fireside chat with all of the greats with Jackie McMullen Hall of Famer talking to Michael Jordan talking to Dr. Auntie J talking to Shaq just about just Auntie about Jackie. NBA history Auntie Jackie is just doing it. So make sure you check out Auntie Jackie. It's my second Auntie Jackie. I got one of them. Word. Check out, check out, Word. check out Icons Club with Auntie Jackie Mac. Make sure you check out The Void. Follow the Void with KLC. Make sure you check out the mismatch. Make sure you check out the answer. I was on the answer last week with Sirit, and it was just vibes. Just 50 minutes of vibes. We just talked about winning time. We talked about Kevin. We talked about Kyrie. We talked about mm. Just everything. Make sure you check out that conversation from last week. Make sure you check out Just Like Us. Me and Sasha Mack love Just Like Us. That's a great show. Okay? Great show. Talking about paparazzi culture. Um, the history of paparazzi culture. Make sure you check that out on Ringer Dish. Um, let's just keep the propaganda going, okay? Let's just fucking do it. All right, man. Baseball season's upon us. All right? So you got to check out R2C2 with who? Raja Bell. Vallejo legend, the Crestside clown, CC Sabathia. Fucking right. And you know what, man? It's Grammy week, or it's the end of Grammy week. All right. So make sure you go check out, get a little music fix. Black Girl Songbook with who? Roger Bell. Town legend. Miss Danielle Smith. Oh, wow. Oh, that was that was you nice, like that? buddy. Okay. Good job, okay. man. A little church okay. voice. All right, Thank man. You. We'll see you guys Thursday. Holla. <laughs>